Here we go, March the 17th, 2013, Lecture Discussion 102 on the Book of Romans. And I hope everyone enjoyed Daylight Saving Sunday, uh, everyone being those of you who listen uh, by the computers and such. Uh, we here at Cliffside took the day off last week to attend to personal items, especially me. I was uh, wrestling again with, uh, with uh, my mom's estate. And um, But some of you uh, went to Hawaii and others to Oregon that uh, normally attend here. Those are the ones I know about, only the ones I know about, and I have yet to receive any confirmation that they're coming back. Uh, we hope that they are, but once you get out of here, it's hard to re- return, except for Cindy. Cindy says she will only come back and live in Alaska, and that is really wonderful. You know why? Is because we do not have bat-eating spiders here. You've been watching that? Anybody watch the bat-eating spiders? They're, they're pro- proliferating. Uh, uh, Anna and Drew are going to uh, Guam, <laughs> where there's a trillion tree snakes there, it's a, and, and bat-eating spiders. Any spider that can trap and eat a bat, I really don't want to be, or a bird for that matter, I don't want to be around it. Alaska, we don't have that. Uh, all we have is freezing numbing, brutal, dark cold, and, and we, we start to like it as we go along. And no bats, and no, uh, well, we might have bats. We definitely don't have bat-eating spiders. All of that to say this. We, uh, we suspended the lecture series for one Sunday. For you folks listening on the internet, in case you were wondering what happened to March 10th. That's what happened to it. And to that end, uh, by the way, whenever I do this, uh, um, I have a whole lot more mail. Uh, I have 14 days of uh, mail now that came in this week, and it's always a great thrill um, to get all the mail from all those guys and, and ladies out there that are listening, especially since our audience is typified uh, by many who possess a very deep appreciation for sarcasm. I know, go figure, huh? Uh, <laughs> and they demonstrate uh, said appreciation uh, without prompting, and brilliantly so, I might add. Today I didn't bring any sarcastic responses. Uh, um, I'm trying to include as many people as I can, um, but I, uh, I have some uh, others here. I brought two that are of interest. The first one is from David in Tampa. Uh, hi, David. Thank you for writing. It says, hello, Cliffside. Uh, thank you very much for sharing the sermons and teachings of your pastor. Pastor Chronister asked in the sermon I listened to today to let you know that we are out here. Here I am in Tampa, Florida. With what? That's right, bat-eating spiders. He's got them. I was surprised to hear that there have been uh, only 2,000 downloads. I would have expected many more, but I am glad to be one of the few to have discovered this wonderful teacher. Or teaching, sorry. Yours in Christ, David from Tampa. And, and thank you, David. Uh, that's just uh, really, really... Uh, great of you to write us and let us know, and thank you for listening and writing. Uh, it is uh, so very important to us to hear from everyone out there. I I can't even begin to express it. It's a great morale boost for us and, and our little group here, and especially for me. And I'm often asked about how many are listening by Internet, and um, I don't know what I said in the particular sermon that David was listening to, um, but we really don't know exactly how many are listening, uh, but based on the downloads uh, from the sites. Now, we have, we have downloads that accumulate. 
We don't know. So people say, well, I found a sermon of yours. I do have one or two sermons that I'm aware of. I probably know it's more than that. It's probably up to 10 now, maybe 10 sermons that I'm aware of that have 2,000 downloads each. Um, and people will suggest that um, 1,995 of those are me and Lori trying to boost our numbers. That's not true. I can't stand to listen to myself. Lori does listen uh, every Sunday morning uh, while she is doing uh, church work, preparing for today's lecture, and I have to listen to me then. And it's uh, it's not something that I do, you know, to be honest. I, I can't stand it. <laughs> I don't know why. It just bugs me. I do it every now and then kind of as a research to find out what people are listening to. But we really don't know uh, how many people we're listening. We know how many downloads we've got from the people that we that count us. And uh, we take the people that give us free counting. They, they'll count for free, as that's all we're able to do. And we can guess that there might be between 500 to 1,000 individuals out there. Um, and we do have sites that don't count. By that, I mean they, no information is provided as to the number of listeners. And, and those are probably our, our largest amount. So we think we have from the counting people at least 500 from the non-counting people we could have uh, uh, quite more than that, and we don't know. But uh, we appreciate all of you, and that's why we like to know about you. We want to know if you're really there uh, and what you think, uh, no matter what you think. So our only way of knowing is through letters and emails, which are always a delight to receive. And, and, and believe it or not, I've actually started to look forward to the um, your ranting idiot mail, too. I find that to be a lot more fun. Uh, I guess now than I would have a few years ago. Don't send it to me. <laughs> you know, think, oh, he really likes to be insulted. Um, I'm fascinated by it. I, let me put it that way. But uh, so even those, if you uh, if you have a, and a lot of times people get really angry at me. Can you imagine that? Uh, and it's okay. Uh, at least you're passionate. I try to include, as you can guess from today, as many as I can purposely. I want everyone to know, again, how important you guys are to us out there. And as you know, you vastly outnumber us, which is why we don't want you to visit. Many, many of you say, well, I can't wait to come and meet all of you. There's not that many of us to meet. <laughs> and we're trying to hide the fact that, that we don't want you to, to visit, and we certainly don't want you to vote. And uh, and we're trying to keep on the. We have a great buffet for the few of us that are here. We can't uh, can't handle any. We drive the visitors away. That's what I do. Let's be honest. Uh, on that note, a little bit though, we are working on a video YouTube system. I, I talked to TJ about that uh, today. As a matter of fact, uh, he's starting to work on that. It's barely begun. He's thinking uh, video streaming and a YouTube channel. And we now have a blog. Catherine told me the blog is up and operating today where apparently I can write things. And the first thing I will write, I told her, is uh, I hate blogs. And that is absolutely true. I, I don't know how I'm going to deal with it, but I will. Eventually, I'm, uh, though, I, I see that I can answer a lot of questions with it, the, uh, the, most, the most prevalent, that repeat all the, all the time. I can deal with them there and maybe... Uh, that will help people a lot. And speaking of often repeated questions, someone sent this to me. They found it somewhere, and it bothered them. And so um, they didn't know how to respond to it. And, and so it's not anybody I knew. They just sent it to me, and they said, we think you can probably respond to it. And, I, of course, uh, I can. Um, 
and that's, but I wanted to bring it to you. It, it, it's, it's the, I've done it many times. It's the WWW God hates amputees question again. If you were here for that. God hates amputees, they will tell you. That's actually a website. You can go to WWW God hates amputees. They say God hates amputees because none of them are ever healed. Hi, everybody prays and 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 Betty Hinn takes all their money, but none of them ever get a new foot or a new arm or God hates them, see? No matter what you do, there's never been an amputee healed. So therefore, WWW, God hates amputees. And I answered that, uh, uh, what was that, probably a year or so ago. And this is in a slightly different form, and, and uh, there, therefore, um, I thought it might be valuable. It's from Kevin I guess I can put his whole thing here because it's anonymous. Uh, Kevin OD77. And he wrote this to somebody and they, um, or he put it somewhere and somebody copied it and wanted me to have it. He writes this. I'll do my best to read it. Prayers are about as effective as eating soup with a slice of, of Swiss cheese. The results are always identical, empty, and still hungry. Hungry for answers that never come into fruition and brushing it off as God's will. How is it that a man is held accountable, yet God is not ever held accountable? If you or I ever uttered so many false, unanswered promises, and he gives examples, ask and you shall receive, believe and it shall be given unto you. If you and I uttered so many of those false, unanswered promises, worship is the last thing we could expect. Yet millions and millions of sheeple line up every day and sit with so much hope in useless prayer. Prayer that will never be answered as asked and then allowing their God to remain unquestioned and unscathed in blind and desperate obedience. If prayer is is as powerful as the apologists suggest, then why is it that God cannot grow back one limb from a war-torn child? Why is it that God seems to only work at the cellular level? Is it even possible, or is it possible, that God has not evolved enough to allow for evidential miracles beyond any shadow of a doubt? Okay? That's the WWW God hates amputees question. Just again, in a little different form. He actually used amputees there. He said, uh, he, he should have asked, why is it that God cannot grow? He should have said, um, why is it that God does not? Probably be a better question for him to ask. But in a minute, I'll get to all of it. The God seems to work only at the cellular level. Do you understand what he means by that before I get going on? Uh, what that means is, is that when you go to these um, um, traveling brother love salvation army or whatever shows that come to town that leave with buckets and buckets of money on huge airplanes, uh, when you go to those, they heal everybody of foot odor and they of dandruff. And they shake gold out of their hair and all kinds of silly things that just are tricks. Just plain tricks. And he's pointing out is that no one ever grows a limb back. All they do is say, your back is better. Who among you has a bad back? Well, listen, if you're over 50, you all got a bad back. I mean, we all do. So that's not no great big trick. Um, and so all of that, but it works. And, and Kevin... That's what he means by the cellular level. It is not any evidential miracle of any kind. So, this is really unfortunate and it is sad because the church uh, has allowed um, this kind of question 
to go unresponded to. You know why they do it? Why they don't respond to it? Because they're guilty of what he says they're guilty of doing. Performing little hypnotist stunts. That's what they're guilty of. If somebody in the back with a microphone talking to a guy with an earpiece, and it's just a scam. And it's been going on for, they used to do it with hand signals. They used to do it with how they talked to each other. If you said a certain word, then the, then the seer knew that you had a wallet in your hand, and he could figure out, but if you said another word, he could figure out what name was on the wallet, and eventually even he's, you know, it's just a, just a routine. And once you learn the trick, you've, you, you really feel bad that you were ever fooled by it. But, that's the problem, is the church is guilty of this kind of nonsense, and Kevin, is, uh, OD77, is calling them on it. But he is not responding to scripture, though he quotes it. Unbeknownst to him, uh, Kevin is responding to churches who are presenting a mangled, if not completely butchered, interpretation of the verses that he quoted. And I can't repeat this enough, by the way. People were tuning in uh, for the first time all, every week. And so I need to keep repeating some of this stuff. I know it's hard uh, for you to hear it over and over and over again, but uh, you have to have a little indulgence here because of the new people coming. Um, so the motives of the churches for doing this butchering um, and this mangling of, uh, the, of Scripture are always the same. It's always the same motive. They know they're mangling it. They know they're butchering it. Why are they doing it? They're doing it because of financial purposes. They need to draw a, car, a crowd. You can't stay in the church business if you don't have money. I've been to pastor's meetings and I've asked them the question. I said, all of you who would work for free, if I took your salaries away, if the churches came to you tomorrow and said none of you could get paid, how many of you would show up on Sunday? Nobody raised their hand. Churches run on money, just like the government, just like any other business. And so their motives for doing so are always the same. Money. They want money. They love money. they got to have money, and they take the money. And they want power over people also. And what do they want to do with the power? Get the money with it. i got power over you, I can get the money. It's rare that the leadership of a church uh, who uh, destroy these verses that he quoted and others are doing this stuff, uh, do this stuff out of mere stupidity. That's really rare, or ignorance. Those are really infrequent. They exist, but you're hard to find one that's doing it because they really don't understand the verse. They're doing it because uh, the norm is the love of money, 1 Timothy 6.10. The love of money is the root of all evil. You might remember we went over that. We dealt with that, First Timothy 6.10, along with Matthew 19.24, James 2, Romans 2.11. There is no partiality with God. If you came in here and you got a lot of money and this church said to you, come sit in the front row, you get to go first through the buffet. Uh, you get to sing, uh, you get to sing every, uh, every Ishtar. Even though you can't sing, we have auto-tune here. If we did that, that's showing partiality. God has no partiality. Anyway, many churches have become victims of the wealth prosperity scam. And in other words, what is that? Come to our church, give me an envelope with money on it, I'll pray on it, and you will get wealth. It's no different than chain letter stuff. And you, all you have to do is, you know, you just go out to the dumpster of all these places that tell you that stuff and you find all the envelopes. Never read them, never prayed over them, just open them and put the money. Fast as they can. 
They have no power, no special phone line to God. You're just a sucker. And many churches have become victims of it in the sense that they want to do it. They see it as an income source. And I've ranted about this many times. And Kevin here that writes, thinks that ask and you shall receive and believe and it shall be given to you. What's, what's the mistake he's made? Yeah, he thinks it has something to do with stuff. He thinks that if you get on your knees and you pray for a Mercedes, you're going to get it. He thinks it has something to do with stuff or something to do with physical benefits. And and nothing seems to change as far as he is concerned. And because all die, Romans 5.12, and wickedness prospers, Jeremiah 12.1, though the word prosper has to be correctly defined. And there is suffering and injustice and turmoil in the sinful fallen world. Kevin has concluded that God is a liar. Did you hear that part? False, unanswered promises. That's what he said. God has given false and unanswered promises. So God is a liar. By the way, uh, true healing is what? What is true healing? True healing is resurrection. Because if you're just, if I got healed of a virus, I'm still dying from old age, folks. I mean, if, uh, true healing, you know, you're just, you're, you're just, everything else is delaying death. Does that make sense? Because you're going to die eventually. So the only thing that, that defeats sickness and all of that is resurrection. Just throw that in there. But Kevin has concluded that God's a liar because he sees the suffering, the injustice, the turmoil, and no, never sees an answered prayer to him. It's all just nonsense to him, as he points out. Um, uh, let me read it again. Useless. Useless prayer. And, and as you know, if you say that God is a liar, that uh, that started in Genesis 3, 4 through 5, as a matter of fact. Actually, Ezekiel uh, 28. Uh, if you begin to say that uh, God is a liar, then you're saying that God is evil. No difference. Same thing. And then ultimately that God is the source of evil. And such a view uh, places one who so concludes at the great wall of Isaiah 5.20. That's an unscalable wall, Isaiah 5.20. Woe to those who call evil good and call good evil. And that's, of course, what uh, what uh, Kevin is doing here. For the sake of Kevin, we'll ever so quickly deal with this once again. Um, uh, you guys, I know, I, I feel bad for you. Uh, you're attending here and, and you have to kind of hear this stuff be repeated. Uh, and I want to get you t-shirts. Um, being the attending in-person most wise teacher. That would be really cool. <sighs> Let me put a few of the things on the board. Let me read them. I'll write them so that you can watch them come up. False, unanswered promises. God's a liar. Hope Useless prayer. In other words, it's hopeless and it's useless and prayer is both. Blind, desperate obedience to something that you can't prove. 
Let me get some of the others. Prayer is never answered. Might be out of order. How come there's nothing ever proved beyond all doubt? That's his basic complaint. God's a liar. Your prayer is useless, hopeless. You're blind. You're desperate, obedient to something that you can't prove. There's never an answer to your prayer, and nothing that God does can be proved beyond doubt. I might have extrapolated that a little bit. Okay, how do you start with that? What do you do? And how come uh, we never have any uh, amputees ever healed? Is he right about that, by the way? Did anybody ever see an amputee with a new limb? Are they trying to do it in uh, Petri dishes? Oh, yeah. Trying to grow. They're growing ears, at least, and noses. Putting them on the backs of animals, pigs and uh, mice. So man's going to do it. You pray all you want. And let me just say this. If you walked into a church without an arm or took a friend and said, I'd like to bring him up here and I'd want the whole church to pray for him and see if he grow an arm, what would they do? What would they do? Wouldn't do it. If you told him you got a back injury, I'll do that. This guy wants to know what's the difference. Okay? John 21, 25. And there are also many other things that Jesus did. What's the obvious question right there? How many is many? And there are also many other things that Jesus did, which if they were written one by one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Amen. That's the end of John, right? Now, obviously, God, who is the creator of the physical reality, has concern for our physical needs. I, after all, he gives us food, water, air, and light, doesn't he? And, and after all, he created a perfect system with his ubiquitous laws. Ubiquitous meaning universal laws. Gravity. There's a good one. So he has all these laws, creation and conservation of energy, which govern his physical creation. All of it, the universe, all of it is underneath this law system. The ubiquity of law, it is called. You might have been here when we studied that. It should be noted that he is the acting force behind his laws, in a sense that he's the one that provides the energy to the uh, laws. And that becomes important because that comes up again when you are disembodied, because your mind needs energy. There must be a source of energy for your mind. Where is that source of energy? Well, obviously, he is able to provide the energy your mind needs so that your immortality remains intact. We'll get to that. That's an important element in our Wilder-Penfield uh, discussion that we're headed back to on what day? That's right. First fruits. You never talk more uh, enough about mind-brain issues, and blood chemistry, and all of that. That's a definitely an Easter sermon. Anyway, you see here Kevin makes an all-too-common error in his premise. He's in direct conflict with John 21:25. He doesn't know it. Most people don't ever bring it. 
But John 21:25 specifically addresses Kevin's letter and refutes it, which is why John 21:25 must be known and understood, which is why it must be read in every church, which is why you should have it on a plaque in your house, which is why it should be on billboards. I never hear John 21:25. You're going to hold up a sign? Hold up John 21:25. That would be really good. There are many other things that Jesus did which if they were written one by one I couldn't have a, the world couldn't contain all the books. How big is the world? How many books? How many things did he do? How many things did Christ, would we put in each book? It's uncountable, isn't it? John 21, 25 answers. How many things did, uh, did, did Christ do? Uncountable things. See, John ends his gospel, which is what? What is his gospel? You know, it's a seven-point proof. He picks out seven things. He picks out seven things that Christ did, and he puts them in a precise order, a Passover pattern. The Holy Spirit, using John, did, did that. He selected seven things that Jesus Christ did, that John witnessed seven things. Of all the things that Jesus did, seven of them John picked out, and he used those to put them in an order to prove that beyond any doubt... Beyond all doubt, that Jesus Christ is the God of all creation. It's called the seven signs. The Passover pattern of the Gospel of John. So what's the obvious question? Why those seven? Why, why did they rise up to the level where they were selected? See, because the next obvious question John addresses in 21-25. How many things did John have to choose from? He selected seven. How many did he have to select uh, to choose from? And again, he answered that. Uncountable things. The world could not contain the books that would have to be written of all the things that Christ did. How long did he do them in? How long was his ministry that John witnessed? How many books? How many things in each book? Out of the billions of things that John knew that Christ did, he chose seven. And then, in case you didn't figure out beyond all doubt that those seven proved that Christ was was God in the flesh, he added the 153 fish. And he put them into a precise order, and they performed the definitive proof of the Godhood of Christ. But billions and billions and billions of things that Christ did, because it has to be that many are... That's what he said. Can't count what he did. Can't put them in enough books. Don't have enough books. So billions and billions of things were not selected. So what do I want? Actually, I want to know what he left out. And Kevin assumes, let me read it again, that God cannot grow back one limb from a war-torn child. Let me see. Ah. Uh, then why is it that God cannot grow back one limb from a war-torn child? I got that precisely correct. Yay me. God cannot. Notice that. God can't do it. If God can't do something, then what else is uh, on the table now? What else can't he do? Yeah. If he can't, if he can't get one limb to grow, he's, there's lots of things. He, he certainly can't save anybody. Probably couldn't save himself. And he says God cannot. And he says it confidently, Kevin does. Well, God did. 
Just that. John tells you he did. Not just John. All of them do. Jesus Christ, creator God, healed thousands and thousands and thousands of what? Lepers. Lepers. He healed, healed them. There were thousands of them. Might have been a hundred thousand. And he got them all. Healed them all. And what did he do with them? He sent them back to the priesthood so they could get their houses and the property back from the what? From the church. Yay, churches. Here we go again. And, it, and the church, if you will, I'm calling it a church, is really the religious order of the, of, of Israel, the temple, uh, the Pharisee and the Sadducean temple uh, authorities. As soon as they declared you to have leprosy, and most of the time they were right because lots of people had it, as soon as they declared you to have it, then you were declared unclean and you were sent away and the temple confiscated your property until such time that you were healed. But no leper was ever healed. Not one. Did they pray for the lepers to be healed? Yep. Any of them ever get healed? Nope. Except Naam and the Syrian. You can throw Miriam in there too. That's a different deal. Hundreds of thousands of people died from lepers. A multitude of lepers. And Christ went around and healed them as everyone that he... If they came, he healed them. If he saw them, he healed them. That's what he did. And they all went back and they all wanted their property back. How did the churches, or I'm sorry, the temple's uh, financial situation, how did it look after that? They had to do, as you know, you've heard me say it many times, they had to go to Leviticus. They had to find the ceremony for the purification of, an, of a healed leper for the first time in the existence of the Pharisees. They had to find one of the temple order. They had to find one. They had to do, the, do this ceremony that no one had ever done before. And they had to do it hundreds of thousands of times. That was my proof when I first read it that God has a wonderful sense of humor. He swamped them. Thousands and thousands of healed lepers. What was wrong with the lepers? How could you tell a leper had leprosy after a while? What happened to them? What did that disease do? Now, not not the disease we have today, uh, the, uh, which I think is Huntington's, but um, back then it was a different configuration, and it was it essentially wiped out. Well, how did that? Why? Why? What was that? Yeah, they lost what? They lost their fingers. They lost their noses. They lost their ears. They lost feet, toes. And so if you're going to heal a leper, what do you got to do? You got to put new limbs on them or you got to put new fingers. You got to put new toes and, and, you know, ears and noses. Lepers who were disfigured, missing ears, fingers, noses, toes, covered with sores. Jesus Christ healed them completely. Luke 15, 12 through 15. You haven't missed that. And he healed a multitude. It says it's a multitude. Thousands of thousands of them. By the way, if you're in the leper community and you got healed, what are the chances? Who else is in the leper community with you? Your family is. One leper, whole family of lepers. So you got healed. What are you going to do? I always make the joke, by the way, he, he, he not only healed them of leprosy, he, he fixed their acne and their male pattern baldness. I mean, he's doing the job. What, where did he stop? 
You think any leper still had a limp? You're dying of leprosy. Your family's dying of leprosy. You run into somebody that heals you like that. What do you do? You run and get your family. And you bring them back. Yes, sir. That's... That's right. He, but Boris said something really good. I hate the movies. Yes. Yes. So do I hate the movies. The, the movies are a mess now. I think they're extraordinarily destructive. Thought that for a long time. But the movies did that intentionally. They intentionally pervert the Bible into something that is simple and shallow. But if you had leprosy, just put yourself there and you got healed, you would run and find your family. And what would you do to them as fast as you could? You would hunt this guy down. Every leper that got healed ran back and got their friend lepers and their family lepers. They had a dog leper. They got everything. They ran back and they put that person in front of God. And what did he do? He's off the clock. Sorry. There was a Friday healing leper only. Not doing it today. What did he do? Every single one. Hundreds of thousands. And he told them, don't tell how you did it to the Pharisees. That will be fun. All of a sudden, all of these people, this multitude, this army, swamping into the city, getting their stuff back. It's one of the great stories in Scripture. And no one, as I said, healed a multitude of lepers, only Naaman. Luke 4.27, And Christ replaced all of their limbs, removed the infection, made them totally clean. And that's just the start. That's just the beginning. So Kevin's premise that God can't do it isn't true. God did do it. The historical record says so. That's not the question that Kevin should have asked. It's just the beginning, because I have Luke 7, 21 through 22, and Luke 7, 13. It says, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers cleanse, the deaf hear. And then it says this, the dead are raised. How many dead did he raise? How many did Christ restore? How big was the crowd that followed him around? First off, you got healed, everything was wrong with you. Second, you got free food. How big a crowd do you think that was? And here's what I say a lot. Men and women, I'm sure children, were maimed in war. What the enemy would do to them is they would take a special knife and they'd gouge their eyes out, they'd cut off their arms, they'd cut off their ears, and they would cut out their tongues. And they would send them back. That way they didn't have so these men with no arms, no eyes, no ears, no nose, and no tongue would struggle back. They'd point them in the right direction and send them back. They wanted the Israeli government army to deal with all of the can you imagine how hard you would fight if you knew that was going to happen to you if you were captured? That goes back to the uh Save the last bullet for yourself. That's a wonderful thing to study, by the way. 
the army that uh, the armies that fought certain enemies that were so destructive. But that's what happened to the Israel army. So we had those men were everywhere in Israel. The whole society was burdened with caring for them. And what did Christ do when he saw them? Put new arms on them, put new ears, spit in the dirt, make an eye, put it in. There was no eye there. The man is seen that never saw since his eyes were cut out. And again, an uncountable a number of people. You could, John says, you can't even find enough books. We couldn't contain the books. We have so many books. And so is that beyond any shadow of a doubt for the people that saw it? Should have been. Was it? No. Should have been. So along now comes Kevin. He wasn't there. I've been doing a new thing. I've been trying it out on people. My dad told me the story about, you know, he's been in the room for 85. I think he told me when he was in 85, almost 90 years, and and a new baby would come into the room. Of course, the baby thinks this is a new room. My dad's leaving as the baby's coming. And the 20-year-olds and the 15-year-olds, they all think there's something new in this room. And I've kind of changed it a little bit over the years. Bill and I have talked about it driving back and forth to Eagle River a lot. Um, and Bill, we've decided it's more like a movie theater. and You start out in the back row, the furthest from the screen, and then you, every time they show a movie, you, you move a little bit. And eventually, you're in the first three or four rows. And um, you know now that the movies are what? Repeating and repeating and repeating. But the young people think what? These are all new movies. I, I was telling uh, uh, Marie and, and uh, uh, Catherine, you can pick out the bad guy that's the murderer in the first ten minutes of any TV show there is. All you have to do is find the character that it makes no sense that he's there. And usually it's somebody that has a, it's a big-name actor that comes in, talks for a little bit, has a part, and leaves. That's the guy. Every single time. Because they cannot come up with a new script. That's why you have... You know, return of the whatever and the, the, you know, how many whatever movies you got. They can't come up with anything new. There is nothing new in the physical reality under the sun, as uh, Solomon wrote with the Holy Spirit. Nothing new in the physical reality. But Kevin doesn't know that. He doesn't know. He wasn't there. He did not see God do this. All of this stuff. And nor did the uh, purveyors of WWW, God Hates Amputees. They also did not see God heal hundreds of thousands of maimed, leprous, sick people. They didn't see it. And they want to see it. If they don't see it, what are they going to do? They're going to accuse God of being what? A liar, a false promiser, unable to fix anything, and not evolved enough. That's what they're going to do. That's what the letter says. They demand that God give to them a personal, special demonstration, a repeat of his first coming. We gotta you you can't just come once, do all of this stuff. 
You have to keep doing it. Always. I'm not going to believe it unless you can keep it up. That's what they're saying. A personal, special demonstration. A repeat of his first coming for them. And if he does not suspend his natural law for them, if he does not alter his plan of salvation, his order for them, then what? They won't believe. They will continually mock and question his character and power and demand that God dance for them. I want you to heal this guy right now in front of me. Now, God. Or I won't believe. And those who question God, those who seek to hold God accountable for this wicked fallen world, they say it's God's fault, right? They need to instead question themselves and hold themselves accountable. But uh, don't hold your breath. I don't ever hold my breath anymore. But I want them to ask at least one obvious question. For example, if I were to grant their false premise, concede the hypothetical, let's imagine God calls Kevin or he calls www.godhatesamputees.com and he gives in, he suspends his laws, he suspends his plan of salvation, the order of it, and he gives in to their demands and he does what they want him to do. Hundreds of thousands healed again. What would happen? What would what 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 happen? Would Kevin believe? Would WWW God hates amputees believe? Would they change? Would they throw themselves at his feet and worship him and say we were wrong about you? How many lepers came back? One came back out of that group. That's the percentages, isn't it? There you got the percentages. Look that one up. How many did he heal? How many came back to thank him? There's your percentage. I tell you this, if God were to come and dance for these people, give in to their demands, they would just ask, what would be next? What would they say next? I submit that a new list of demands would be constructed. We'd have, they would want God to dance longer. Those who question God rarely stop questioning God. Always they have another complaint, another accusation, another what if, another how about, another but. That's how it goes. In other words, nothing would change. WWW God hates amputees would become WWW God hates heal amputees. It wouldn't just be the same. Nothing ever changes. The goalpost would just move. Yeah, I got a new arm, but why any longer? How come I don't have a bigger hand? I want to play the piano. I want it to be less hairy and stronger, blah, 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 right? The real question to be asked is what kind of person questions the existence, questions the goodness, questions the power of God? Who does that? Who sits around and questions whether or not God is good? 
What kind of person does that? See, that's a special kind of person. And, and when you find all of them that do it, what do you find about them? They all have the same thing in common. Who thinks like this? What is their shared motive? Are they new? Have they ever been in the movie theater before? They've always been there. In the middle of time, God gave them a demonstration. It didn't matter to them. They can read about it. They can verify it. Still doesn't matter. They want it their own little personal thing. And it won't matter then. And they know it. Ecclesiastes 12.14 answers what do they all have in common? Why do they think like this? What their shared motive is? And this is what it says. For God will bring every work into judgment. Let me repeat it. For God will bring every work into judgment. Hebrews 9.27 And as it is appointed for men once to die, but after this the judgment. They all have the same thing in common. God is the judge, Jesus Christ, God himself in the flesh, will sit on the great throne and judge every single man, John 5.22. And that truth is despised by humanity, it's despised by fallen angels. They all shake their fists and scream profanities and accuse and slander and deny. And they all with great arrogance place tests and hoops before God and insist that he perform for them like a dancing monkey. That's what they want. Again, who thinks like this? People who hate judgment. If you think like this, stop it. Anyway, another valid, valuable question instead. Why did Christ do it once? He did all of that. He answered all the prayers. He healed all the sick. He proved beyond a shadow of a doubt. He healed all the war-torn. Did it all. For how long? Three years. Was he liked? No, he was despised. Absolutely despised for it. There's a great lesson for you. Right there. But why did he do it once? Did he know he was going to be despised? Oh, yeah. He's an omniscient guy. I mean, here's a guy that cleared out every hospital he ever walked around. Cleared him out. Hated him. One came back. So the real valuable question, instead of what Kevin asked, is why did Christ do it once, and why did he do it at the very time that he did it? And will he do it again? Will he do it again? Yes, he will. He will do it again. Will he suspend his natural law again? Because he did it there. He controlled the weather. He walked on water. He walked through people. He did all that stuff. Yes, he will. So the next question is why twice? Why these exact times? And I will concede, by the way, Luke 7.22 only happened during the ministry of Christ and at the birth of the church. The lepers, the main, those without eyes, without tongues, the dead raised, only happened at the first coming. It's not happening now. Quit giving your money to the people that say they can do it. They can't do it. They're lying to you. They think you're an idiot. 
And they hate you for giving them money. They absolutely hate you. They pretend to love you, but they think you're so stupid that they, they end up hating you for, for giving them money. It's how it works. It's a basic psychological uh, situation. Learn it. And Kevin has careened into a truth here. He says, believe and it shall be given to you. Uh, the it must be defined. Believe and it shall be given unto you. It is not stuff. What is it? Yes. It's not a Mercedes convertible. It's a salvation-based statement. God wishes for spiritual wisdom, for spiritual life for us, not physical cravings. So what is the purpose of prayer, which is by definition a spiritual act, a non-physical entity, if you will? Prayer is what? It's communication. It's worship. It's acknowledgement of the spiritual reality. It's communication. It's talking to, to the living God who is spirit. And our prayers, how good are they? Let's take a prayer test. How many of you have good prayers? Our prayers are selfish. And Kevin notices that. All the people at these meetings, please give me money. Please, 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 pray, 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 pray. You give me money. And Kevin hears those prayers, and he decides that those that all prayer is useless. And that's another error. Our prayers are usually insulting to God. All of us. We are, it's hard for us to have a prayer that's not insulting to God. It takes a lot of work. Our prayers are stupid, they're angry, they're irreverent, they're simple, they're shallow. And he never answers them, does he? And because God will not dance for us, Kevin declares him unworthy of worship. I submit that if he did everything we asked, one of the first things we said is, please kill that guy I don't like. Right? That's what we do. That's us. I hope you wouldn't. But I've been around a while. I've sat at this desk a long time. I am grateful that none of you are my judge. And you should be grateful that I am not yours. God is our judge. But if because God doesn't do our little whims, Kevin declares him to be unworthy and a liar, therefore. I submit that if God did everything we asked, Kevin, what would God be doing? He'd be spending a great deal of time undoing things that we asked. We'd ask for something, we wouldn't want it, we'd want something to fix that. Be a mess, wouldn't he? And I submit that if God did everything we asked, Kevin would still likewise declare him unworthy to be worshipped. Do the same thing, wouldn't it? Think it through. But prayer is not useless just because it's angry and irreverent and simple and shallow. It's not useless. Prayers are always spiritual events. That is why they are so important. And notice uh, Kevin's not-so-subtle declaration that there is no hope. No hope, he says. That's a commonality in the mockers and the evolutionists. Purposeless, hopeless, randomness, chaoticness. That's a word. Try it at Scrabble. Essentially, the, uh, life is hopelessness. That's what he said. There is no hope. It's useless. And that is all all there is, they will say. And that's what the monists do. They always end up there. There is no hope. It's all useless. And they must do that. And they always have. For thousands of years, they have done it. The exact same questions over and over and over again, and they always do it right about now, because it's first fruits time. It's the death of Christ time. 
And so, when first fruits comes, we're going on to another path. You might have noticed that I'm kind of stalling for time today, haven't you? Because I don't want to go over the subjects that I'm going to go over the next few weeks on this week because I didn't want to take the chance that people would miss them. So we're going to go after another path. We're going to compare the two floods next. The Adam flood and the Noah flood. I'm out of time. Your wife is holding up fingers. i got to rush now. And we will ask, uh, what was in the tent of Noah? They went into that tent. Remember, that's where we left off? Who went in the tent? We know Ham went in the tent. We know the other two sons went into the tent. We know that Canaan was cursed. And I asked what happened in the tent. But you also got to ask what was in the tent. We know that Noah was not wearing whatever he normally wore. So I want to know. What did he normally wear? We also know that Noah was unable to defend the tent. He was passed out. Either he was drugged or it was of his own design. But he was vulnerable. And now is the chance. See, this is logical, isn't it? If you're passed out in your house and you have something valuable and people know that you're passed out in your house and you have something valuable, what are they going to do? They're going to come in and steal it, aren't they? So it seems likely that this was a robbery. So I want to know if I'm right. That's a joke. But if I'm right, I want to know what was the target. Okay? What was in the tent? Did Ham and Canaan go to Noah's tent because they knew they could steal something? That's the question. In which case, what did they steal? And then we'll have to take go from there to germ cells and somatic cells. But for today, I want you to notice that Kevin is somewhat like Thomas. Somewhat. Thomas figured out, looking at Christ, that he was resurrected. That was obvious. He also had Something about him that no other human being had. He had this kind of glory inside of him. And so he said, you're resurrected and you're God. That's what he said. And he followed and he submitted and he was grateful. He believed that Jesus Christ was God and that he was the resurrection and the life. Here's my thief on the cross. We'll end with this. Just a little bit of stuff that's coming in the next couple of weeks. What's the first thing that happens to a human being that is staked to the ground or staked to a tree or staked to the cross? It's the first thing. He can't defend something. He can't defend himself. What is it that he can't defend? He can't defend his eyes. What's the first thing the birds do, baby? Put a fish on the ground. Watch what the seagulls will do. What will they come for first? Come for the eyes. How long do you think that man's eyes His eyes didn't last 20 minutes. That's part of the game. His eyes are plucked out by birds. He's tied off and and it's seemingly what? Hopeless. And what does he do? Remember me. You're the rememberer. You're the one who remembers. You're the author of the book of remembrance. That's what he said to Christ. Psalm 139.16. And the Romans, by the way, notice something about that crucifixion. Birds hit those two guys. Think the birds got Christ's eye? 
seem not defenseless. And even if he were, they're not stupid. So, we have a lot to cover in the next couple of weeks. I just wanted to help out people that wrote with Kevin. And let's, uh, let's do what we're supposed to do. If we love Kevin, what do we do? We want him to be saved. That's how you love people. You want them to be saved. That way they're going to be what? Healed. Because they're going to be what? Resurrected to life. That's how it works. Let's rise and be